0: This sermon, The Christmas Child, was preached by Tom Wilkins on Sunday, December 18th, 2022 at Sovereign Grace Church. Our text today is Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. I'll be reading here in just a moment, starting in verse 22 in chapter 8. But I think it would serve us all to understand this when we're reading one of the prophets. It's good for me to remember it. It's good for you to remember it. Essentially what the prophet's jobs were, God had called them to do this. This is what the Lord has said. Thus saith the Lord will be the words often the prophet will speak. But he's not coming up with necessarily something new. He is going to repeat what God has already said. This is what the word means. The prophet will say, this is the law. And it'll be an ongoing reminder. Rejoice or repent. Worship or turn back to your God. Away from idols is common. Away from magicians and soothsayers and diviners. Turn back to your God, the only God Isaiah clearly is preaching that. And away from mediums and communicating with the dead, which we actually have right here in verses 18 and 19 that we're actually not going to look at directly. Announcing judgment and discipline of the Lord and extending and promising grace and mercy and forgiveness. Those are the prophets Let's read together. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. And they looked to the earth, and behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust, God says, they will be thrust into the thick darkness. Now our text today. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of burden, of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken in the day as in the day of Midian. For every boot of trampling warrior in the battle tumult. And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this you may be seated let's pray together Lord, you've given me a picture even now of a man standing and heralding, and his voice carries a long way, but through time. How kind of you through the prophet Isaiah that his voice would reach our ears. Because it's behind Isaiah. It's your voice. So speak to us. Holy Spirit, superintend the preaching of your word. I pray that we would see Christ exalted, just as Isaiah prophesied, and that the disciples witnessed and continued turning then again and speaking, speaking the word of God. And we have it now in our minds because we've heard. We heard we've heard what Scott's mom heard. We've heard the good news. Thank you for your word. Jesus, keep speaking these words to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I've summarized our text today, which is insane to try, but I did it in what I'll call the big idea. Into our darkness, the light of Christ has shone. Into our darkness, the light of Christ has shone shown and there's going to be good reason as we go through the word today to turn and worship in response that what we hear today in God's word that God has come and has spoken into our darkness and has spoken in such a way that he has revealed it as the light of Christ being shown into the dark places of this world the dark places of my heart of your heart how kind of God to have done this In humor this morning, we were in Derek's office, and I'm going to ruin maybe a future illustration opportunity of his, but he said, I could do this. Um, Derek sent me a text this morning, and it was a text from a screen in his car. I don't know why he's texting and driving, but he did this. This is our lead pastor, texting and driving. He sent me a picture of the screen on his dash, unless he had Donna do it, and it is a picture of... His uh, radio station that he loves to listen to, Bluegrass Christian, on his way to church on Sunday. I love it. I grew up listening to Bluegrass. I remember hearing the ringing mandolins all the time in our home as my oldest brother David played regularly. Love Bluegrass. But Derek gave me another reason to love it. He said, The words this morning that are the words, (laughs) not the word, is I can't do it justice in Bluegrass twang. Throw off your shame and jump on the train from here to Hallelujah. Amen. There's going to be good reason you're going to find out that we can throw off our shame this morning because you're going to discover God Himself has thrown off our shame. There's going to be good reason to get on the, what Derek was calling this morning, the train to Hallelujah. Because God is the one, mercifully, that has put us on that train. A great light has shone into our darkness, point number one. A great light has shone into the darkness. Let's consider verses five, one through five, excuse me, in our text again. Particularly, let's look at verse two. We're going to do a little bit of forward and rewind. Here's two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And this is referring to the darkness a little before this, up in chapter 28. Chapter 21, as it moves towards chapter 20, I'm, excuse me, verse 21, as it moves towards verse 22. And they looked on the earth, and behold, distress and darkness the gloom of anguish. And so then we see in verse one in chapter nine, but there will be no gloom. Wait, we just heard there's gloom, but there will be no gloom. And what's occurring actually in the text and what the prophet is doing is prophetically, it's as if he is transported in time to the future, the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah, and he's speaking as if that moment is present. And we're looking back, so Isaiah the prophet, speaking into the darkness and gloom, is now transported, as it were, into the future and is saying, now yeah. there's no gloom. And that darkness spoken of here in 9.2 and in 8.22 referred to as the distress and darkness. And in particular, deep. Darkness, in verse 22, those that dwelt in the land of deep darkness. So the nature of the darkness is it's thick. Using biblical terms, it's likely dark, dark, dark. And what's interesting also about this is God is the one that his thrust centers into this darkness. Verse 22 says this at the end, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. They don't go running into the darkness, although that's probably true, that we ran into the darkness in our sin. In this case, in our sin, the Lord brings discipline and judgment, and he thrusts us. Into the darkness. If you would turn to Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to read through parts of it. Through the section of 18 through 32, hear what Romans, God's word, has to say about this darkness that God has thrust us into. Romans 1 18. God's word. In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts and impurity. Verse 26 for this reason god gave them up to dishonorable passions verse 28 and since they did not see fit to acknowledge god god gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done and as you read on they were filled with all manners of unrighteousness the dark darkness is thick god is the one that has thrust us there He's the one that has driven us there. That is our condition. We're not just white liars. It's dark, dark, dark. And we cannot believe, even for a moment, that God is doing something that is unjust to us. Now back to Isaiah. 8.21 8.21 says, we were, look at these words in 8.21, right before we're thrust into darkness, here's why he thrusts us into darkness. They passed through the land in 21, greatly distressed and hungry, and when they're hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, and their faces turned upward. One of the commentaries describing their faces turned upwards in anguish and in hatred towards God. Enraged, speaking contemptuously, that word meaning as if they stood above the king looking down on him and casting all of their thoughts and hatred on him. So then God thrusts us into darkness and he's just in doing it. And if things could not be worse, the Gospel of John, verse chapter 3, verse 19 says, and we love the darkness. It's not like we're unwillingly in the darkness. We knew from Romans, we found out we're in the darkness because that's where we wanted to be in the first place and God gives us over into it. He thrusts us into it. And what is our response? Is it to save us out of this darkness? It's not. We like it more than anything. We get what we deserve, distress and darkness. Because of our cosmic treason, R.C. Sproul will describe it, because of our disdain of God, His discipline of us is utterly, it's wholly justified. Now, verse 1, but, 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 there will be no gloom for her who was in English? Jumping ahead, the prophet goes to what you and I get to look back on—the cross of Christ. Verse one: Grace enters the scene. My mind is almost parali- parallels Genesis when God comes on the scene. While Adam and Eve are hiding. It says, Adam, where are you? Instead of what Adam should have heard, which was silence and death and destruction only. Hmm. God righteously and justly plunges us into the darkness, but he shockingly announces ahead of time our salvation. His amazing future grace of the gospel is in his Redemptive history shines a great light into our deep darkness, just as in the garden. Judgment and discipline are justly carried out by God as He thrusts Adam and Eve and our Adam and Eve, our forefathers and mother, our forefather and mother in sin, out of paradise, but before He does, He covers their sin and shame. And redemptive history will reveal the richness of His grace. We thrust our fists heavenward. He thrusts us into darkness, but promises that a merciful and gracious and joyful salvation has come. Isaiah prophetically speaks of that present moment, of that light, that beautiful light. And on this side of the cross, we look back and we see that hope has come. It has come. It has begun to shine and now we hear in verse 2, people who walked into darkness have seen a great light. So that thick darkness is met with great light. See the juxtaposition? One is hopeless. The other one is all the hope in the world. The darkness is thick. We know the light is great now. Distress and darkness, gloom of anguish, deep into the thick of the darkness, these are the places that the great light will shine into the hearts of sinners, into the hearts of God-haters, idol-lovers, the sexually immoral, the treacherous, the liars and deceivers, the necromancers of verse 19, the robbers, slave-traders, the gossips, husband-haters, wife-beaters, murderers, Unjust, sluggard, drunkards, the dead. How thick can the darkness get? It cannot get thick enough to quench the light. Right there, where no light should ever be found, a great light, a great light has shone. We indeed needed this great light. By the way, none of us are looking around for the light switch in the darkness. We did not come to our senses to the light. The great light came to our senses. So the great light shines into the darkness, but the joy, point two, is the great light is the Christ child, Jesus. The Christ child, Jesus. Now look down with me. You get to study a little bit between two and six, don't you? Hmm. For to us, verse six, "For to us a child is born. To us a son is given." Now I want to show you something in the text that'll be helpful in your Bible study, when you're reading, particularly when you're in the Old Testament, but you will see this in the New Testament. When something occurs three times, it's a complete reference. So what we're looking at here in verse 6 is actually the third of three things that are occurring. But we're going to use that and highlight it because of the three, it seems to be all the more the third. All the more all summary of them all. Deep darkness. God shines His light. How is it possible that the Lord would do this? Verse four, for the yoke of his burden. Verse five, for every boot of the trampling warrior. Verse six, for to us a child is born. And overarching in the whole text is this child. We get to look here in a minute at these other things being removed, but this child that has been given has been given, and he is Christ our Lord. Into our darkness the light of Christ has shone. Here on the pulpit we have printed... Preacher, we wish to see Jesus. Well, this is Isaiah's pulpit. Isaiah now is standing and he is hearing the prophetic word from the Lord and he is declaring from his pulpit, Jesus is the answer. Matthew writes in his gospel in Matthew 4, 12 through 16, something that's very familiar if you were listening this morning Verse 12, now when he heard that John had been arrested, Jesus had heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Nephtali, Nephtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here, Matthew, quote what we just read. The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. People dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death. And on them, a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Isaiah's preaching, and he's preaching the Messiah, the Christ. He's already been prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 7 and 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now here in 6 through 7, to us, This child, a son, is given. It is clearly a gift to us. He's not revealed and dropped out there. Do you all see him? He is brought to us. He's clearly given to us. How kind of a gracious God to come to us in our darkness, write to us and give us this child and give us this son. So we see it as a gift, but also we see this child and also this reference to a son. Now I'm going to quote John Calvin on this one because I absolutely loved what he said. He said, often when you're reading through, my version of it, often when you're reading through the Old Testament, when you get to the word son, it's always the son of this and it's the son of that and it's the son of this and it's the son of that. This one is the son. He says the only way it can be translated is the Son of God. A child is born. The Son of God is given. In the face of your curse, blessing has come, the prophet is saying. And that blessing is not crops only. It's him, the blessed one. It's him, the Son of God. We should be handed over to the tormentor, should we not, in our darkness? Should we not just be given over to a debased mind, but we should also be handed off to our father, Satan, but we're not. We're not. He comes and he gives us himself, the son of God. The relationship between blessing and curse is real. You obey, you get blessing. You disobey, you get curse. This gift is, comes in the midst of our disobedience. There is no following of the law that's going to pull us out. The joy is in the midst of our absolute, abject hatred of God himself. He comes and shines the light. He gives us the Son of God. Gives us the Son of God. This is why Jesus is truly called the Christmas child. He's the mercy child. He's the grace child. He's the grace gift of God the Son given to us. Now let's do what the text does. Second part of verse six. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called, shall be called Now, let's consider the beauty and the wonder of his name. These names lift our eyes up off of the filth of this world and fixate them on the majesty of Christ. These names become our worship as we declare them back to him by worshipfully naming him his names. Let's look at each one together. The first wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. Some commentators handle these things as separate names. I don't have the experience or the ability to separate them and to try to keep this message under about 500 years. But together, this is as if God's excellencies excuse me, as if God's excellencies were not enough, the sense of this word, the sense of the text, combining in one of his names, wonderful, with counselor, it moves the hearer from simply becoming aware of his hidden excellencies, which are certain, to now through faith that we can behold and experience and wonder of these things, these wondrous things regarding his amazing, his amazing and wise plan. So we wonder at this counselor, and this counselor has a wise plan, giving us a glimpse into the counsel of his will, unfolding in the sending of the Son of God to save us in our devastation. This wonderful counselor is is his ability to plan with the Trinity. Can you imagine the wisdom involved in that planning? Can you imagine the wisdom involved in him willingly planning, Jesus willingly planning along with the Trinity, that he would humble himself in divine submission to condescend and become flesh, and to become the sin-bearing Lamb of God, dying on a cross, and he's come to us, the Son of God, given for us. And he had wisely planned this from the beginning. Who would have devised this plan except God himself? Calvin, excuse me, Spurgeon described it as if these two great truths of God's justice and his love kissing on the mountain of these things how can both love and justice be met in a kiss in an embrace only god would devise this only god could discover this and this wise counselor is jesus as his voice heard among heard among those of the trinity i will go i will do this this counselor speaks He uses words to reveal his sovereign plan. He tells us what his plans are. He announces his wisdom as the only true wisdom from age to age. Generation after generation will hear his counsel as his word goes forth. Living and active counsel, accomplishing every single thing he has planned. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. Sharper than any two-edged sword is Jesus, able to get to the core of those lost in darkness and to rescue us out. What a wonderful counselor he is. And then, and then, if that's not wonderful enough, mighty God. Mighty God, none other than God himself. Without, without question, this reference is God himself is the reference. This child is the Son of God, is God Himself. And He's revealed in strength. He's God, but He's mighty God. Christmas child is strong God. A man, yes, but our strong God forever. If you would turn to Isaiah chapter 40 let's hear the prophet again. Mighty God. Chapter 40, verse 9. Go up to the high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God, behold the God, behold the Lord your God, comes with might, and his armies rule before him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead them, lead those that are with young. He's a strong God. But also in Revelation 19, the Christmas child is also the pale rider of Revelation 19. And then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, From his mouth comes a sharp sword which will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine presses, the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, on his robe and on his thigh. He has has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Our warring King Jesus has come. The child has come. The Son of God has come he 's the mighty God he 's our messiah for sure, but the text goes on everlasting father, everlasting father we have wonderful counselor, mighty God, now everlasting father, he is a warring king, he is a mighty king, but he is also a benevolent king towards his people this, Use of the word father does not equate to Jesus also being the uh, God, the father. This is a reference to a benevolent king, a father of his people, a leader who is good and kind to his people. He is mindful of his children. The shepherd that knows his flock, his kindness toward his church will not give way no matter what. He is the everlasting Father. Nothing will take away his goodness and kindness and disposition towards his people. Consider now, again, how we have dealt with him. And remember how he has dealt with us. His kindness truly knows no bounds. You may be present this morning, and by your very belief, Shaking your fist at God the Almighty. And He is letting you breathe. He's benevolent. He desires not one of you to be lost. Don't be just a spectator of the good news. Wander at his name. Wonder why we're not reduced to ash. Wonder at his goodness, his disposition over his kingdom. His favor is with us. His favor is here for you. Turn to him. Come to him. He's good. The disposition toward his kingdom is one that will secure us in his favor and goodness and love and his devotion. He will not abandon his sons or daughters. He will not abuse his children. Oh, how he will protect us. Nothing can snatch us from him, nothing can snatch us from his arms that hold us. And he will teach us to know him. Oh, we'll sin. And we'll run out of the family room, only to find him waiting on the other side of the door, saying, son, don't do this, come back. Daughter, don't do this, come back. What an everlasting father he is. Wish we could stay. But we have Prince of Peace now. This child born is the Prince of Peace You know, this world hears a lot about peace right now, and I'm not talking about peace regarding war, although how desperate we need that. I can imagine those in Ukraine want to hear this. All of a sudden, the gunfire, all of the bomb noise, all of the shrieking. But this is a better peace. He's the prince of a better peace. We should never be at this kind of peace with God. We should only hear constant, constant noise of horror from now on. And this child comes in peace. Here he is, the Prince of Peace, here we see that Jesus is the ruler, he's the prince, he's trusted, he's all-wise, he's powerful, he's the ruler that brings peace through his reign. He doesn't just announce it. The way he rules brings peace. He puts down horror, he puts down evil, he does come in justice to bring peace. And through his plan, through his wise wonderful counselor plans, he makes one prince of peace decision after another to make certain of our salvation. He brings peace between us and God himself. We are always at war. Through his efforts, Everything that we needed to be rescued begins by bringing us peace. In our sin, we're always at war with him. Our relationship is marked by enmity, but he brings peace. You and I aren't like, let's draft a treaty. Let's just write this up. Here are my ways I want to be in relationship with you, God. This is what you need to do. This is what I promise to do. No, actually, he comes to us and we're not interested in a treaty. And he says, This is what I'm going to do for those that are interested in peace. I'm going to bring you peace. You can't even see your need for peace. It's so bad. I'll bring you peace. Now consider yourself personally just for a moment. Do you experience this peace? That no matter what is going on, you have hope. There's a text on the New Scripture where Paul will say to those that are grieving, I don't want you to be uninformed like those that are without hope. You have hope. So right now, if there is no peace, you have a promised hopeful peace that will finally bring you to peace. How is it possible that we could have even one second of peace on the earth, it's because the Prince of Peace is now ruling over us and his kingdom will not be shaken. His peace will not be shaken. Here's an excerpt from Sovereign Grace Music, Heaven Has Come to Us. Unto us from on high, reaching down into the deepest night, to the world hope has come in the dark, the light of life has dawned. What a mystery. Oh, what love. How can it be that heaven has come to us? Unto us, meek and mild, God eternal, born a helpless child, set aside heaven's throne, veiled in weakness, came unto his own. What a mystery. Oh, what love. Oh, how can it be that heaven? Has come. Oh, the beauty and the wonder of his name. He's our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. The band can come up. save something for the end of the message that is intended to help us wonder at the beauty of his name, to behold what a great God he is. How merciful he is how good he is. Consider for a moment the incarnation that the Son of God. I don't know how it happened, but at a particular moment, two cells separated in Mary's womb in the incarnation. The Word says the Holy Spirit did this course he did how could it ever have been done any other way because of his wise plan Consider of the conden- condescension of the incarnation that though clothed in majesty can move throughout space and time he was moving before there was space and time that he would confine himself to space and time. The humiliation, it's a theological term. It's not like he just felt really bad and embarrassed. No. The humility, the humiliation that the king of heaven, the (laughs) prince of peace, the mighty God would for a while park that to a greater degree. Oh, what a mystery. That the Son of God would humiliate Himself like this, it really is inexplicable. But we must and should try to explain it. Go to His Word and hear it explained again. Hear the prophets say, Here's how it's possible. If you would stand with me. Now, beholding what Jesus has done for us, high and lifted up, and now, low as a servant born in in a manger, the very Son of God, now willing to thrust himself into this broken and filthy world, drawing in his first breath of oxygen so that he would then, not long after that, draw in his last breath as he bore our sins on himself. And carries the full weight of the Father's wrath as our sin bearer. From heaven's perspective, it's God's perfect plan. From our perspective, our minds cannot comprehend. Shocking, and words fall short. But in will Let's pray.